Hello and welcome to The Annoyed Spy, the weekly podcast which uncovers what's really going on in the world of diversity and inclusion. I'm Dr Julie Humphreys. And I'm Natasha Whitehurst. And in today's episode, we're exploring labels. And we are joined by Anna Marsden. Anna is a trainer and professional speaker with a background of nearly 20 years in supporting people to increase and enhance their communications. Welcome, Anna. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Um, so we spoke to choir master and voice coach extraordinaire to the stars, Paul Russell, in season one, um, all about labels. And it was actually one of our most listened to episodes. So when you and I met Anna, uh, we're both speaking at a university event. And, oh. And we, I don't know. Fancy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got the invite and uh, so, so did Julie. You and, I, <laughs> and, uh, you and I touched on labels and, and we thought it'd be really lovely to have a long and, and sort of explore it a little bit more. Um, so, but first off, why do labels interest you? That's a really good question to start off, Julie, thank you. Um, labels interest me because I think this. There's such a power, and we'll be talking, I'm sure, a lot about power. There's such a power to labels, both positive and negative. And um, you said that uh, at the introduction of my bio, I have been a trainer for 20 some years. And the first content of training I ever delivered was uh, LGBTQ awareness training back in uh, the early noughties in the California. And uh, labels was always something that we used to start to talk about to open up the minds of participants about who are we talking about? Why are we talking about it? What does it matter? Um, and so for the past 20 years, I've been talking about labels in one one you know form or another. Um, and it always doesn't surprise me, but I, I always note the the reactions of people both positively and negatively to uh, to labels. And I think there's a power dynamic at play there. Um, so as I mentioned, I, I'm a trainer. I've been delivering LGBTQ plus awareness and allyship training for a long time. And one of the things that I do, and I think, forgive me, Julie, this was probably a little uh, um, uh, anecdote that I shared with you when we were at the university. One of the things I get uh, people to think about when I'm delivering training is the power of labels. Uh, and uh, I lean heavily into the stereotypes. Um, no one can see on a podcast, but uh, um, I'm quite a, I'm Northern like you, Natasha. I'm a Northern lady and I am a, 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 a big unit and uh, I'm quite butch looking, I am told. Um, and so, I think I really obviously look like a lesbian. I really think it's really obvious. Not so though, but you know. Um, and so I lean heavily into the stereotype and ask people to um, think about an analogy I share about my cat. The joke there, if you missed it, was all lesbians like cats. Not exclusively, but you know, cats are superior beings. Um, so I ask people to think about what happens when I've had my Amazon delivery, I've fish something out of the box and the box there the big cardboard box is empty and i think oh that'd be great for albert my cat to sit in so i go through into the kitchen and i plonk the box down in the middle of the kitchen and then i pick up albert i think gorgeous fluffy slightly overweight and overloved cat who's ginger plonk him in my cardboard box and what does he do what does he do he jumps right out again. He jumps right <laughs> out again because I put him in the box. He doesn't want to be in the box. Same day, same cat, same kitchen, same me. Put the box in the kitchen and I walk out. 
what does Albert do now? He jumps back in. Yeah, he gets in the box. Because I've not put him in the box. He's chosen to go in the box. So I kind of feel like there's an analogy there with labels. The power of who's doing the labeling and why. And if you feel like you're being labeled by someone else, there's a power dynamic there of someone telling you what you are. And so what we find, and I think we don't necessarily talk about, is this reactance of other people labeling others. Well, there's a label there, other. What does other mean? Other means not typical. Other means someone that isn't represented, spoken to, included, isn't the author of stories, isn't the representation of themselves. Other is in and of itself a label. That is not a problem until you assign the value to being other, being different. And I think that's where I'm interested in the use of labels and the power of labels. So coming back to Albert and his box, what is the benefit of choosing to be in a box? For me and for some others, there's a power in being able to choose references um, that um, speak to your own experiences, to um, uh, use the words and the um, terms and experiences that you have, that are reference points for the group you may be part of. So there's a power in labeling in terms of being connected, being seen, and being understood by the references that you use. So that's really useful. But if you are feeling like that label, that, that collection of reference points, words, and terms are not applicable to you, there's a reactance immediately. So I think I'm interested in, in, in our reactance, the power of labels, but also the benefit why do we label well our human brains they are effective and efficient by by design we categorize as humans we categorize things because we want to understand in a way that's manageable so we lay down these neural pathways of connectivity to better understand groups of people in a categorization that doesn't mean that every person within that category is the same so I feel like some of the reactants we are experiencing in, in the world now, in the context of now, is how can we demonstrate our individuality, bearing in mind culture, Western culture is valuing individuality. How can we do that if we're using a label that other people use? And so I think that I'm interested in that dynamic. So thinking then about the power dynamic that you've just mentioned, do you think that you can kind of take that power away and also can you give it to someone else mm, good question power flows power flows from places when you don't know you have it sometimes and power isn't necessarily over someone else but it's from within often um and we can see the power and i know because i listened to the um the podcast that you had with the dulcet tones paul uh and, and that doesn't surprise me that it was oh. a, a very lovely voice He's got a gorgeous voice. Like I could just sit, I, I want him to almost like read a book to me just so that I could just sit and listen, but we digress. Yeah, well, because it was a popular episode um, about yeah. labels and, and the power of labels in terms of who has that power. So, they, so he talked about queer and the first use of queer and how it's been um, uh, co-opted um, and used for good because it's been an opt-in 
label for some of us. So I would describe myself, and again, for the podcast viewers that don't that can't see, I refer to myself as a northern big unit, I'm sure. Um, so I, I have short hair, I'm white, I'm able-bodied, uh, I have uh, very proudly three rings on my wedding finger, I'm a married lesbian. I don't necessarily use queer to, to, to define or represent or label me. However, I am. I am queer, but that isn't the first word I would go to. The reason that I choose lesbian on purpose is because there's a power in a sexist, misogynistic, heteronormative world. Me using the word lesbian, I think, has more power than gay. I use gay and lesbian interchangeably, but I think lesbian is such a powerful word because you were whispered about it when you were little. In the 80s, no one said it. They said lemon. I remember I came back from guides one time, it was about 11. 11 to 12. Um, this references my uh, middle class upbringing. I was at guides doing, you know, doing very good things. And I came back and I was really upset. And I said to my mum, there's some other girls that were referring to me as a lemon. For those of you who weren't around in the 1980s, a lemon was shorthand for lesbian, uh, but we didn't say it. Uh, and I was really upset because someone else had labeled me. Someone else had said that I'm a lesbian. To be honest, I don't know whether I knew, whether I was upset because it was true, whether I was upset because someone got there first, or whether I was upset because I knew it was bad. It was wrong. It was different. So I went back to my my mum and dad and I said to my mum, I'm upset because this has happened. They call me Lemon. And I remember, um, I'm very, very lucky that uh, I have two very supportive parents. And I shouldn't state that. I shouldn't have to state that, but I am very lucky. Um, and my mum just said, huh. And so what if you are? And just left it at that. And that was the best green light I've ever had in my life. And from then, it made me interested in this, okay, the power, who's labeling? What are they saying? And so what if it's true? What is the inference? What this idea of weaponizing labels, and again, I have been victim to that verbal homophobic abuse constantly. It's not very nice. When you're other, when you're different, the value of the negative value is attached to that difference. But what's wrong with being different? We we see a lot of fear around language uh, when we're speaking corporately or we're speaking on this podcast to guests and and to our listeners have asked us to cover language more. And so one of those words that people are frightened of is lesbian. Yeah, uh, I would mind. Um, and people don't want to upset anyone who may be a gay woman who no longer refers to themselves as a, or as a lesbian. Mm. I mean, what are your thoughts around the two different words? Mm. So gay and lesbian. I, again, I think context gives us everything because in a, a sexist, patriarchal, misogynistic world, why would you want to be called a lesbian? <laughs> like, there's less power there. Surely gay is a fun, happy word that's being co-opted back and it, it's a happy word. Yeah, we'd choose that one. But the nuances, gay doesn't necessarily point to womanhood or femaleness. And if that's important to you, getting rid of the word lesbian, there's a nuance in there that refers to gender identity and sex assigned at birth. And so those nuances, are important to the person that's using the label. And again, mm. I, I have this uh, uh, constant question when I'm delivering trainings and it's, what are the right words? Words are changing, <sighs> how annoying. Words have always changed. Words and language is something like culture that is constantly moving and shifting and there's power dynamics in there. 
there's no right words. <laughs> words are contextual. And so therefore, if you're looking to understand what the crib sheet says, what the, you know, the A to Z glossary says are the right words, I think you're kind of missing the trick. And the trick is to listen. I always say we've got two ears versus one mouth. That ratio is right, but we don't use it like that. So if you're listening mm. to the words and the labels and the categories that people are referencing, they're referencing something with layered nuances underneath. So the word dyke, for example, um, dyke was uh, used to reference bull dyke. So very masculine woman, women um, dressing in a masculine way, way who are um, uh, women who are attracted to other women. But there's a gender expression, performativity, identity nuanced in the word dyke. I know some people don't want to be, um, I won't use the word dyke for themselves. Dyke, interestingly, is one of those weaponized verbal homophobic slurs that I've had um, thrown at me many times. Um, interestingly, when you turn around and go, yes, that is correct. The power seems to have been taken out a little bit of that. Yes, well observed. <laughs> that is true. Um, so I think trying to think of what the right words are now is the wrong way of looking at being inclusive and having an understanding of diversity. Listening to the words that people use to describe themselves gives you permission to use those words, whether you'd use them or not. So I, one of my recommendations, uh, I know you say, because uh, I've listened to the podcast, uh, what are your recommendations, like whether it's referrals or resources. One of my recommendations is to listen to how other people speak about themselves what's important to them because the labels that we are using to describe ourselves will be important to us coming back to albert in his box that box full of terminology reference points experiences that point to me being part of a group is important to me so i'm not saying labels are good or bad i'm saying there's a power in them that can be for good but also can be for harm so do you think therefore that people are listening more um now than maybe not to not happen to but yeah, eighties, nineties. Um do, do, do people listen more? And also, has that again changed more recently when we start talking or hear people talking about wokeism and, you know, it's called greatness called math, you know, has it now switched again? Um, I like that. Wokeism, political correctness, and gone mad. I love that, that fear mongering of, oh my God, what's next? We're going to listen to how people live their lives and acknowledge that and show representation of how people are different and not assign a negative value. Oh, no. I, I think it's really oh. interesting, even how we frame what might be the issue. <laughs> and I think if we dig down a little bit, the issue might be if we and i speak from a position of being a white middle class able-bodied woman if we speak from our privileges why do i have to change why do i have to make space for other people i like my life this is nice it's comfortable why am i making extra space for the people that are others why do i have to choose or read up on the language why do i have to make a change and i think that's some of the reactants and the fear is if i give a little bit as someone who's privileged, then the, the person that I'm giving this space for will take more. That's mm. not what we've seen. Yeah. That's not what we've seen. Um, but yes, the 
the information part of your question, Julie, is interesting because um, over the past 20 years, the way that information flow exists has fundamentally changed with the internet. So I did my master's on identity in cyberspace. So that idea of, you know, who are we when we're not seen? Who are we in this virtual world? And little did I know 20 years later, um, we would be living pretty much this interesting um, virtual space um, where it both doesn't matter and it hugely matters about the words we use for us. So because of the flow of information, we are much more likely to come into contact with more diverse stories. Self-publishing is a thing, not just online, but in the social space. Uh, we also have a huge um, uh, influx of streaming services. I, uh, as a sociology student, uh, I immerse myself in culture all the time. Uh, I love stories, books, articles, films, TV. I am a massive child of the 80s with my specs because I love TV that much. We've never been in a situation where we can call stories to us that we want to hear and see because of the streaming services. That's really changed how we're aware of diversity, I think. So I was looking at something, um, I think it's a UCA, uh, UCL study. Uh, I'll give you the, the reference. Mm. Excuse me while I drink. Um, the UCL study looked at Netflix and found the streaming service represented many more diverse voices, diverse people of colour, more LGBTQ people, more women as reoccurring characters. So we have more access to more diversity in the stories that we're surrounding ourselves with that are based in truth, that are based out of the imaginations of people of colour's writing ability, directing ability. So the differences they found in this study was not only are we seeing more women as reoccurring characters, more LGBTQ, more people of colour, but we're seeing more um, uh, of the people who are behind the scenes, the writers, the directors. So one example was uh, uh, women writers uh, in theatres, so films, 27%. Uh, women writers versus in the streaming world, 36%. And that follows not as a, um, a bigger number, but just as big a leap with people of colour who are writing in the theatre, 12%, 12%. If you think about the actual demographics of people of colour in the UK, only 12% of the uh, people of colour who are writers are in a position to have their stories being told in the theatre. That goes up slightly to 20% in the streaming world. So I do think there's a the context of information and internet has shifted the way that we are now experiencing diversity just on a level of culture, just on a level of stories. So I think that is, uh, yeah. it's not that we're more, well, woke, to be awakened, to, to, to be aware of. So yeah, yeah, we are more woke. <laughs> so yes, I accept that, that I think we are because we are realizing there's more people in the margins than we thought. Normal mm. as we understood it was normal to a certain group. There are many groups. And I think that we're getting our head around that a bit more. You'll know I'm slightly positive on the subject, but um, I think it's a really good power for good to be able to immerse yourself in difference. Because how can we understand and have compassion and empathy for people if we don't understand them? Coming back to labels or reference points um they're not mm. everything not everyone's the same we're all different obviously 
Um, and I think I think you, you make you've made loads and loads of interesting points. But I want to go back to what you said about um, listening. So you said you know um, people know, like need to listen more, and you know that whole two to one ratio, two ears, one mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what what I'd like to kind of think about is the fact that I think we and you know we're in um, a place where we're constantly looking at organize our organizations and we're advising and nudging and saying we need to do this or we need to do that and you know you've got people constantly telling people what they need to do and it's almost that kind of the what um what needs to happen but I think at times we maybe fall down um generally uh, you know in in the workplace with the how and I think you know listening is a skill um and and to be a good listener it takes a lot of work mm-hmm. um and I think in a at a time where we've got you know, if we look where Dr. Julie and I are sat recording at the moment, we've got three laptops, four phones, and there's another laptop upstairs. We're constantly plugged in. We're constantly distracted. So actually to properly sit and listen to people, it is a challenge, right? And and it is a skill that we need to develop. And it also, I think, is embedded with curiosity. And people need to have that element of curiosity to also then be properly listening with, I think, with intent. So... My, my my I guess my question within all of that is how do we help people build those skills to be better listeners um so that they can be better at embracing the difference and understanding some of the kind of label piece my immediate reaction to that is like writing a permission slip to say you don't need to you can choose not to You're absolutely allowed to live in the world and not think about the impact of what you say. And I, again, I often say that in my trainings, no, you you don't have to do anything. These are suggestions and the reasons why, and again, coming back to the internet and how technology has changed, how we have our relationships and our communities, AI can't be a compassionate human being. (laughs) AI might be coming for some jobs, the repetition, you know, the uh, the right answer stuff. The human soft skills, the humanity, the compassion of working with other sentient beings, as we used to call it in the uh, women's studies, leaky bodies. We've all got them, but somehow we pretend that we're not embodied in these these bodies that we mm. walk around with. AI can't do that stuff. So actually, if you're looking to the future of work, if you're looking to the future of the workplace, it is much more valuable in the context of AI to have good, robust, compassionate relationships with other human beings. A foundational kind of understanding of that, I think, is that we are all different. Yes, we are all individual, but there's crossovers, like a Venn diagram, I love a Venn diagram, uh, developed by uh, um, someone from the University of Hull. I am from Hull. And so a Venn diagram is always the the best thing for me to uh, describe a concept with. So we might have overlapping Venn diagrams of commonalities with other people. It doesn't mean we're the same as them. It doesn't devoid us or divorce us of our own individuality, but these points of common commonality, whether you play sport, whether there um, is, uh, I don't know, a hobby that you do that you cross over with someone, there's value in understanding those things. And so I'd say, LGBTQ awareness in this specific example is another one of those potential Venn diagrams where you can have commonality. You might not be from the community. And when I say community, 
we are all dispersed and different and we're not the same. It's not one. Uh, having listened to your um, uh, the R word from Rachel Chorley Daly the other day, that was really useful. When we talk about the community, whether it be the disabled community, whether it be the LGBTQ community, there isn't one place. We're all different people making up this shared experience to a certain extent. We'll have Venn diagrams of crossover with some people in that community and not in other areas with that same community. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, we, we have to be mindful that we don't have to be, we don't have to do any of this diversity and inclusion stuff. We don't have to, if you want to be part of a society where we're increasingly understanding how different we are, if you want to work together with people who are, have different reference points to you, it would be useful to understand what those reference points are. And you can yeah. only do that if you actively listen and immerse yourself in things you don't know. So I think you make some really good points. But I think how, therefore, can people listening to this episode bring that to life in the workplace? Mm -hmm. Because we want people to listen. We want to be people to be interested in being in an inclusive environment. Uh, so how, how would they bring this to life? I think owning and we're talking about identity so yeah owning your identity so using the words that show an understanding for the context we live in i think is really important for example i mentioned i'm white i'm middle class i'm a woman who's able-bodied i'm a lesbian i'm married these are not just labels these are references to power dynamics so i'm saying i through no fault or benefit of my own, or not benefit no fault or action of my own I have been privileged in my life because I am able-bodied, I'm white, I am middle-class. My references will be from there. That isn't wrong. That isn't my fault. That's an awareness that my references might be different to someone else's references. So I think there's a little bit of work we have to do collectively to understand that references to power dynamics can help other people understand that I, I'm aware that I've either got privilege on my side in this aspect, or I have oppression on this on my side on this aspect. And I think when you introduce yourself in work, when you're really working with other folks, whether it's on a project or whether you're working with people for the first time, using paying attention to how you describe yourself. What are the words you use? Why are they important to you? Because they're not just labels. They're not just words. They're references to a bigger power dynamic. Why is that important to you? and have the same compassion for someone else, really understanding. For example, a little bit off topic, uh, it's not LGBTQ specific, but um, I was working with a couple of trainers last month that I'd never worked with before. And we were going into uh, um, to help some graduates with their um, uh, graduate training on the job. And it was all about negotiation and influencing skills. And we were having a pre-meet. And the first thing we did as trainers was yeah, introduce who we are. And then we went straight into our um, kind of psychodynamics. I am someone who uh, is quite concrete. I like structure. I like to be on time. Um, the conceptual, big, abstract ideas I have to work really hard for. Um, so I was having this conversation with the other trader and uh, he was saying, oh, conceptual, I can live there all day. And so we were talking about what strengths we bring through our difference. 
And that's an active thing. That's an actionable thing that you can do. Again, I'm a trainer. This was my training example. But if you listen and if you share about your own identity, the reason that we're doing that is to find common ground, to find that overlap in the Venn diagram. And so that's about investing in both yourself, but also in the people and the teams that you work with. Again, you don't have to do it, but if you know a bit more about the people you work with, it's easier. You know what they'll be excellent at. You know, actually, that's not Anna's game. <laughs> let's let's uh, um, give that to someone else. So I think there's a lot that we can learn by owning our defaults, our go-tos um, and sharing them with people. Um, I think you make a really good point around difference. Um, I'm going to ask Paul for one question. Uh, we ask this of all of our guests. We say that inclusion is an action. Do you have a top tip or inclusive action that you'd like to share with us? I love that top tip. Well, immerse yourself in otherness. So this idea of other. Again, in the context of um, you know streaming services, we have so much access to information. Um, find out whether it's books, podcasts, Blinkist, I'm a massive fan for those people who are in a slow readers group like me. Uh, I'm a slow reader. So with uh, business books, I'll use Blinkist. I'm not getting a kickback, but they give you a 30 second blink of each chapter. And that's brilliant because I don't have to read the whole book. But if I want to, I can. I see Natasha writing down there, Blinkist, that's one for the list. Um, so I would say immerse yourself in cultures of other people. I've got a few resources that um, I will uh, include with the show notes, but one of them um, is uh, um, there's a great book by Sean Fay called The Transgender Issue. And Sean has written it from her perspective. I think anything that comes from someone's perspective is well worth a listen or a read because we don't know. We don't know their experience and their existence in this world. Or if you spend however many hours it is listening or reading the book, you've got a better idea. So tra the transgender mm. issue by Sean Fay, I definitely recommend. And because I work uh, with lots of professionals, but there's a healthcare professional resource that I want to share with you. It's called Health Talk. And this is first person narratives of trans and gender diverse young people from their own mouths, from their own experiences. And I think the more we, again, Im immerse ourselves in the otherness, I think it's not that hard of a leap to be compassionate, to understand that people are different and there's, it's not negative, it's not bad to be different, but we have to be aware of how those differences play out. Uh, the third one, uh, and this is uh, an absolutely fabulous TED talk, um, her name's Emily Quinn uh, and uh, she's intersex. And if you've heard that word for the first time, definitely, definitely watch the TED talk. And it's called, What I've Learned From Having Balls. Thank you so much. Uh, great top tips. And you are not the first guest recently to give us uh, more than one tip within a tip, which is brilliant. We love that. And I was definitely scribbling down all your um, all your ideas and notes, of course, shameless. Um, but thank you so much. It's been um, really, really good to talk to you today um, all about labels. So thank you. Thanks, Natasha. Thanks, Anna. You can find us on Twitter. Our handles are in the show notes below. And if you've liked what you've heard, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically. Thanks for listening.